Hello. Before we get down to cinema, I would like to draw your attention to our Patreon. Regular listeners will know that these podcasts are supported by Quad, our home cinema in Derby, UK. But as Quad is a charity, we want to make Cinelet as self-sustainable as possible. So, to that end, we have set up a two-tier way in which you can support Cinelit. For our 35mm Cine fans, you'll get a bonus additional episode each month where we will be deep diving into an area of cinema that will be exclusive to Patreon subscribers for at least six months before it arrives like a late dinner guest on the regular feed. Plus, you get the episodes a week in advance of the main feed release. But if you want to support us and don't feel that pressing need to have the additional podcast each month, but still want that warm, satisfying feeling of being part of the Cinelit success story, then you can become an 8mm Cine fan where you can donate and get our heartfelt thanks. Head over to the Patreon page and subscribe if you can. However, we know that times are hard at the moment, so please do not feel you need to subscribe if you are not able. We'll still be putting out new, free-to-listen-to episodes on a regular basis throughout the year. Now let's get back to your regular scheduled broadcast. Welcome to another episode of Cinelit. Today we are paying tribute and also revisiting three films made in the early uh, mid early nineties, mid nineties, and early two thousands that form Robert Rodriguez's Mexican trilogy. Not the El Mariachi trilogy, as often called. He calls it a Mexican trilogy. So we're going to be looking at that today um, to coincide with the new Star Wars series Boba Fett, which sees Robert Rodriguez behind the camera filming some episodes for that. I am Adam Marsh, I am your host today, and I am joined as ever by Cinelit's resident expert, Daryl Buxton. How are you, Daryl? I'm okay, thanks, Adam. Really good, and uh, I'm, I'm quite a Rodriguez fan, so uh, looking forward to this and a chance to look at one of his several sort of franchises or series. He's a director who's, uh, who, who seems to like sort of returning to, to the same territory over and over again. With, with different characters and different uh, sort of film situations. Yeah, he's had an interesting career, hasn't he, Robert Rodriguez? He's, he's, he's definitely in that mould of a sort of, like, jobbing director, looking for another film, looking for another a franchise to jump on sort of thing. But usually all of his, his own creation, you know, he's not, he's not jumping on apart from the Star Wars, which he's doing, <laughs> doing now. Usually he's, he's, he is generating the franchise, whether it's, this, this trilogy we're talking about today, whether it's Spy Kids or whether it's... He's got a new one on Netflix, hasn't it? We Can Be Heroes, yes, which will be in yeah, yeah. that, that looks like it's going to kick that a little mini-franchise as well. I think so, yeah. So. That's going to possibly a sort of follow-on from Spy Kids, maybe mm. a, a, a sort of similar... aimed at a similar sort of audience. Yeah. I mean, he made, he made the Spy Kids films for his own kids, really, didn't he? And, yeah. um, and now they're older, you know. He's, he's, he's obviously looking at a new generation, but... Uh, uh, it all started, of course, with El Mariachi. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, the film famously, supposedly made, or the official figure seems to be $7,225. I was obsessed with this with, with this story, and particularly with Desperado, rather than El, El Mariachi, although I liked El Mariachi, but I was obsessed with the book, Rebel Without a Crew, that Robert Rodriguez wrote, all yeah. about how he made El Mariachi at 23 years old for $7,000. Absolutely obsessed with that book. I've read it over and over and over and over again. And I'm stunned to find it's not in print anymore. 
Really? He just assumes really? that it's an essential book on filmmaking. You think, especially today, you'd think that would be a filmmaker's Bible because, um, I mean, we, we've seen in recent years um, all over the world, and, and it's happening right here in Britain as well, we, we've spoken to filmmakers on the podcast um, in, in, in previous months, uh, people like Tom Rutter and, and Michael Fausty, who are making films at that sort of level. They're making films for that sort of money. It's a big, big thing in the sort of underground of British filmmaking. The sort of films that we bring to Paris Cinema here are often made at that sort of level. And Rodriguez is one of the pioneers of that. And perhaps there were people that had made films on, on low budgets prior to him. But I think I think he was the one that really, really made people realise that you could do that and get distribution for your movie. Yeah, and that um, was the key, wasn't yeah, it? It was a breakthrough. Yeah. It was definitely like a, he wasn't just shooting a ninja movie in Miami, you know, a Miami connection or something like that yeah, yeah. on a low budget. He shot this movie and got and, and convinced Columbia that it was a work of genius. And it is. Yeah. Uh, and, and they pumped in countless millions <laughs> in post-production, soundtrack clearances, and and, and distributing yeah, yeah. Ad- ad- Advertising it yeah. as the film that was made for $7,000 with a, a multi-million-dollar <laughs> advertising. Well, that happened yeah, a lot yeah. in the 90s, didn't it? It seems to be a big thing in the 90s. I mean, because Clerks was like twenty yeah. five thousand pounds yeah. something like yeah. that, uh, a dollars, and, and then that was pumped out millions of pounds in advertising as well, you know. Yeah, I, I suppose that... It was seen as a generational thing. It was. It was the, uh, Hollywood realized that. Oh yeah, there's this si- similar to how how they did in in the sixties with with um, uh, new Hollywood and the movie brats and so on starting to emerge in the late sixties and through to the early seventies. This this seemed to be a very similar sort of trend where Hollywood executives, rather than doing their usual thing and saying let's make Lethal Weapon for you know what's Clint Eastwood doing next. We're actually looking for new talent, mm. and um, and it was out there, yeah. and it was the, and because of uh, already at that point we we got increases in technology and changes to um, lightweight camera equipment and that sort of thing. Hollywood realised, oh, there are people out there that are going out and making movies at weekends, and some of them are actually damn good. We yeah. can release this. You know? Well, I think one of the great things about it was like for me reading that book. It wasn't just uh, like a how to make a low budget movie. It was also the passion yeah, yeah. for be- breaking into the film industry. It was. It was you. You go oh, and you do, can do it. Yeah, exactly. Reader, yeah. You can make a film. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I'm reading it. I'm like twenty. I'm twenty, nineteen, twenty, something like that. And he's twenty three. He's made a seven thousand pound movie and he's taking over Hollywood. You know. Yeah, yeah. It was like okay, that could happen. That could happen. Yeah. So did did you find that as a personal inspiration? Well, absolutely. As, yeah. as my multi million dollar Hollywood career as uh, <laughs> as attributed to. Yes, absolutely. But no, I did absolutely. It was it was it was fascinating. I think. I think what inspired me the most was it was the lengths he went to to get this thing funded. And even though it was only, even though it was only seven thousand dollars, seven thousand dollars is a lot when you've got nothing. Yes, you know. And he had nothing, and he was like going to like a, a clinic where he was having drugs tested on him and being paid to, to have those drugs tested on him. You know, uh, he was he was pumping money from a short film Bedhead, which had won prize, and he pumped that money into the film and and got to like a budget of seven thousand. And most people even now today would look at $7,000 and say, great, I've got a budget for a short film. Yeah. And his mentality was like, I could go to Mexico and shoot a feature for $7,000. <laughs> Why don't I actually do that? And he, yeah. and he, and he yeah. did that, you know? Yeah. And a, a lot of filmmaking at that level um, 
even to this day, is um, based around, you know, what, what have I got? What have I got available? Who have I got? You know, can, can my mates act? You know, and what props have I got? That sort of thing. And I think he brings a lot of that into play here. We had uh, uh, Carlos Gallardo uh, here as a, as a guest a few years ago at Quad, who still seems to be doing the same sort of thing that he was doing 25, 30 years ago. You know, he bought a film called Redcon One, which uh, which he produced, and the director, uh, Chi Kiong Chung, and the the uh, actor, Mark Strange, and the stunt coordinator, Mark Strange, the same guy, um, were, were here, the, the three of them. And, uh, um, and Carlos had, had still got that same sort of passion for, for, for filmmaking, but... He'd not progressed in the way that Robert Rodriguez had. And Carlos, uh, for people who, who don't know, is the guy who plays El Mariachi in, in the first movie and then transmuted later on into Antonio Banderas yeah, yeah. In, in a weird Doctor Who-like transformation. Well, that's, that's, that, that's a fascinating thing. Cause, I mean, I, I think at that period of time, I mean, if that happened now, for instance, if, like, a hit film had been made with starring an unknown actor in the lead role, and then they were making a second one with a bit more of a budget. They'd be literally like fire hashtag fire Banderas chants going oh, yeah. around, yeah. you know, the Twitter and things like that. Whereas, and, and at the time, I was thinking, well, why haven't they just carried over the same acts? You know, yeah. giving them a bit more budget, and within two minutes, you see Antonio Banderas on the screen, you think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's why. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but let's not do the first film now. Let's we not. we love it, and uh, you know before we get on to Desperado, I think um, uh, you know we do need to discuss El Mariachi in its own right because um, we we we've spoken so far about the making of the film and the and the budgetary constraints of it and the way that Rodriguez went about raising money and simply making this film out of nothing, you know. Let's talk a bit about the content of the film because it's it's a cracking little story and a great idea, a great concept. It is. I mean, it's not massively original. No, but I don't no. think that was the goal. I think the goal was to go to Mexico with $7,000 and shoot the shit out of a feature film yeah. and showcase what he could do with $7,000 and then potentially as a show, as a calling card for what he could do with a bigger budget. Yeah. And yeah. wow, does he deliver on that. Indeed. He, you know, the, the style and particularly... Particularly the editing in all of these films is exceptional. Uh, and really, when I was watching these films as a 1920 year old, that kind of period, I thought I was seeing the next big action style of cinema that was yeah. going to take over Hollywood. And this was going to be the template of what Hollywood was. It's not the John, the John Woo thing had been and gone. This is the next one. Yeah, you know this. This was the style that was going to influence action films, and it didn't really work out that way. But my God, it's it's fresh and original and kinetic, and and it just flows as you're watching it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, filmmakers around that time, at the sort of level that Robert was working, stood out because of their editing. Um, there's there's um, an early film by Edgar Wright. Uh, called Dead Right, which is um, it's available on, as an extra on on uh, one of the DVDs of his movies, and it, it's the film that he basically sort of remade or it transmuted into uh, Hot Fuzz later on, and that is so well edited. That's edited like an episode of Spaced, mm. but by this this nineteen year old kid or whatever he was shooting on video. 
Yeah. And 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 again, it's it, it's the same sort of thing. You're watching this, thinking, well, this looks really cheap, and he's making a film with his mates, but it's the editing style that's standing out. And yeah, that's very much the case with the Robert Rodriguez and El Mariachi. I guess uh, that's what you can control when yeah. you're at that budget level. You know, you you can spend two years editing your film yeah. if you so wish. No one's pressuring you yeah, to yeah. get it out for and, a certain and, deadline. And if you're happy, you, you know, you're making your own film. You're the guy calling the shots on set, aged 20, 21, 22, whatever, um, you've got no producer putting pressure on, no studio putting pressure on. You can just go out every weekend. You you, you can work during the week, you know, or do whatever you, do, you need to do to raise money to make your film, to create that, keep that passion going. And then you can go out on a weekend or on an evening with your mates and you can shoot and shoot and shoot, knowing that you've got all that coverage then and you can come back and you can then create with that. You know, that's that's the art of these filmmakers. This generation of filmmaker is shoot, 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 and then get down to the editing suite. I, do, do you think that was Rodriguez's style, though, at the time? Because he was shooting on 16 mil, so it's not like he could shoot and shoot and shoot like filmmakers can today, no, where, like, no. they've only got as much memory card <laughs> as they can hold. But he was shooting on 16 mil, so he was not... He was not yeah, so the, completely you know, liberated. He's, he's suddenly, yeah, the, 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 the film footage comes into consideration as a big cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I, I'm, I'm thinking he probably more likely had how he was going to edit in his mind before he yeah. went and yeah. shot to the edit. Yeah. In, in coverage-wise. Like, almost like sort of amateur Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Hitchcock was, was sort of famous for that. The, the whole film was, was sort of played out already. And the, the actual shoot was the boring bit. You know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't think that was the case with Rodriguez. Like, you can tell that he's having a lot of fun making this film. And all of his pals are having loads of fun shooting each other, you know. Yeah. But uh, I think he embraced digital when it came to making Once Upon a Time in yeah, Mexico. Did, yeah. And he actually declared, you know, I'm, 35 millimeter is is basically dead to me now. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 over it, sort of thing. And and uh, that doesn't surprise me because as we because because I guess as an editor, you would I think in his heart of hearts, he's yeah. an editor. Yeah, and. Yeah. I think that probably appealed to him. Yeah, the fact yeah. that I can shoot loads of stuff and spend hours yeah, and yeah. everything. But I, having said that, I think you you must be right on talking about El Mariachi in that simply the the the, the actual cost of, of of film stock, even sixteen mil, would would be so prohibitive that he would have to be very very careful about what he used. And so, yeah, I, I think he's embraced digital partly because of its look, but partly because of the ease that he's got in going out and shooting in the way that we've described. But um, I, I think, yeah, that, that, that technique comes from inside him anyway. A lot of filmmakers now do go out and do that. They do, they do shoot as much as they can and then, and then sort of focus on the edit. Yeah, I think Rodriguez would have come... Uh, about that from from the angle that you're sort of describing there. And moving on to the sort of like cast of amateurs that he employs in the movie, because there's not many real actors involved in this. And whilst none of them stand out as particular finds, none of them like stick out like a sore thumb as being awful. No, and I think that's that's the key with this. It's like there's a balance to the performances, the thrall of a level. Yeah, yeah. One thing he does, he takes so many tips from the the so-called spaghetti western of the 60s and early 70s. 
in the plot of the movie and in the look of the, the film, but also in the fact that he's using great faces, you know, his, his, his mates all look like people that ought to be in front of a camera. And that combined with the editing style, combined with the, the lean but very exciting plot line, I think it all comes together to make something really special. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I, you, again, it's, it is a case of use what you've got in front of you, use the props you can get, but that includes human props, if you like. That includes your, your cast, you know. Make sure that they look good in front of a camera because if they don't, the film is going to look cheap and that was the one thing he didn't want. You know, I think he wanted a certain rawness to it. Yeah but of a style that he'd seen in, in those European Westerns and the other sort of exploitation material that he'd grown up watching, you know. And again, he's, he's part of this whole generation of filmmaker that's emerging in America at that time. Tarantino, who, of course, became a, a great partner of Rodriguez and a great supporter of him, being the, um, the, the sort of spearhead of that, I guess. Mm. And I, as you say... Um, just just before this 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 wave, we'd had the emergence of or the the sort of discovery by by the West of what was going on in Hong Kong, and uh, I think that was a big big influence on a lot of this generation of filmmaker too. But yeah, they were sort of harking back, I think, to an earlier time as well. I, I think the European films, especially the westerns and the and the police thrillers and so on, were. Um, because they they were they were made on sort of sizable sort of medium budgets, I guess, in terms of like Italian and Spanish cinema, but for various reasons, the films quite often looked cheap to English language audiences because of dubbing, because of cuts in 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 censor cuts and so on, scenes suddenly jumping from one place to another. I think audiences perceived those films as looking cheap. And I think Rodriguez sort of used that as a positive in his film. He sort of, he realised that, yeah, the, the audience I'm aiming at isn't going to complain that my film looks like this because they're sort of expecting that from, from this type of movie. Yeah, and also, I mean, you know, just, just driving south of the border into Mexico and getting those locations. Yeah. Well, there's, there's your production. There's exactly. there's your production value right there. You yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's an interesting one. Is there a tradition of Mexican action cinema? Not really that I'm aware no. of. I, I'm I in in sort of exploitation terms, it seems to be either the the sort of vampire and horror stuff, or the um, the, the the Santo and, and Blue up, Demon yeah. wrestling. Uh, wrestling movies and quite often those two things combine so you get wrestlers fighting monsters you know but uh, yeah they seem to be the big traditions in in Mex in mexican exploitation uh, movies um because it, it does it does feel like rodriguez is, is like kind of like thinking well there's the spaghetti westerns is that hollywood hong kong action movies i want to do a mexican action movie well, yeah. what does that look like yeah and this is what it looks like and that's what he was trying to pull together to the point of, of casting when he cast uh, Desperado, it's a majority Latinx yeah. cast, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> with the odd exception being Tarantino and Steve Buscemi. Mm. Yeah. And even with, even with like Antonio Banderas, he's Spanish, but yeah. he's playing a Mexican character. Yeah, he's, he's, he's Latin. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you've, you've still got that. And just look at the titles of the films, mm. you know, El Mariachi, yeah. that's a statement, mm. you know, Desperado, that's a statement. Once upon a time in Mexico, it's, it's, 
it's all suggesting that again that you're right adam that there is this intent there there is this drive to say yeah these are mexican movies Mm -hmm. and that that comes across really strongly and and positively i think i think you know in the fact that you could have box of massive box office successes because all three yeah were were big box office successes yes Starring a predominantly Latinx cast. Yeah, yeah. You know, that in the 90s. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? It's yeah. like, you know. Do you, do you know what the trilogy reminds me of? It's a, a podcast that we did a few months ago. We, we covered the, the, the Mad Max films. And these films almost parallel the first three Mad Max movies for me. Yeah. Um, so what you're saying is there's a fourth well, mariachi movie I, I, akin to Fury Road. I, 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 I would love there to be something. Mm. I'd love uh, Rodriguez to revisit this world sometime. And I, I, and he's got form in doing that, oh, yeah, as we yeah. know. He, he does like revisiting his old characters. We've seen it in Sin City. We've seen it in Machete. We've seen it in the Spy Kids movies. So um, fingers crossed that he will. But, uh, yeah, what, what we've got is... The, the Mad Max films again did did the same thing that you've just mentioned. They celebrated Australia, mm. you know, in a, in a weird sort of way. Um, it's part celebration in 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 that trilogy. It's part celebration and part sort of having a little dig at, at local culture. Rodriguez doesn't do that. He's absolutely celebratory about uh, about Mexico and about and about a certain type of Mexican. Mm. About he 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 loves he loves the idea of. The, the movie hero, the, again, the sort of spaghetti Western-like figure wandering in from out of town and, and shooting the bad guys, you know, and, and, and that's, that's pretty much, in a nutshell, this, <laughs> this, uh, this trilogy. This trilogy <laughs> yeah. it's, it's very, very lean. It's, uh, it's so effective. But, yeah, I, I, I think the films really do parallel the, the, the Max movies. You know, mm. you, you've, got, you've got the cheap but really, really effective first movie then you've got you've, you've got the the second one that expands on that is is a link direct sequel but but is almost its own film is almost a new thing you know and then the third one in both cases i think is a slight misfire but you'll happily sit down and watch it any yeah. any day of the week you yeah know? yeah and uh, i think it's a little bit more bloated than than the first two um, a little bit more all over the place, but has it got some great action scenes in and some great characters? Oh, absolutely. But we'll, we'll, we'll come on to we'll talk about to that, that yeah, as, yeah. As, as we go. Yeah. Well, let's, yeah. let's, move, let's move on to Desperado because this is the one that really established him. He, he obviously had a low budget here. Um, companies in America were throwing money at indie filmmakers. Tarantino's got a Pulp Fiction ready to go around 94, 95. And already Tarantino's linked himself in with Rodriguez, as he did with other filmmakers later on, uh, like Alison Anders Mm -hmm. and and, um, uh, Eli Roth later on. And Tarantino's always had this big thing about... uh, not just promoting himself, which is a very, very good self-promoter, and I think a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people turn against him because of that. But I think he's shown his true colours in not only promoting himself, but in promoting the generation of filmmakers around him, aligning himself with them, and even getting involved in their work. And you can see such a Tarantino influence, I think, on on Desperado. Definitely. It really sounds to me like he's given the script a bit of a polish. Well, that's it, yeah. I mean, some of those dialogue sequences, you know, feel like they're Tarantino scripts. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure whether they are or whether he's just given them a polish. Mm. But... 
the, the, the two, I mean, his scene feels like he wrote that. Yeah. That yeah. I mean, him telling the joke thing, the, the, the whole side, that feels like the one he did for that other movie where he tells the, the Madonna that he breaks down like a prayer by Madonna. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, no, like a virgin by Madonna. In another indie movie, and again, another appearance in an indie movie that he made. It feels like he's a rock top. I, I, I think I should talk about this before yeah, we I, go I've got on. these two pages. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and off you go. And it works in the concepts, in, in the confines of the film as yeah. well. And Robert Rodriguez, who will have been to see Reservoir, dogs and will have been knocked out by it ain't gonna say no is no, he no so um, but it but it fits it fits, it fits absolutely i think this movie feels like a series of set pieces yeah in, in a, a series of stories like the mini short films strung together yeah with an overriding arch you know that like, 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 like come together but you can break it down into set pieces yeah now we we've, we've mentioned how antonio banderas comes in and takes oh. over the role but isn't, isn't that done well i i love what they do where where they they sort of flash back to the first movie, but they refilmed the scenes yeah, yeah. with the actors from from this movie, and uh, I, I think that's really really clever. Rodriguez has always been good at that because he did the uh, when when they did the Grindhouse films and and they had to shoot trailers for the, the to to go in between the two features. He did the trailer for Machete mm. and then matched that up really really well when he came to make the the the, the full Machete feature. Yeah, yeah. I think he's always always had an eye on that he, he doesn't cheat with things like that and uh and i think and, and, and i think it really gave desperado an authenticity and a connection yeah. with el mariachi you believed this was a sequel and it wasn't jarring that it was a different guy and no. a, a, a a burgeoning star at the time in who, who'd taken over from Carlos, my mate. You know, I think I think the, I think the one thing that helps that is that a lot of it's about myth telling and storytelling. Yeah, yeah. In that opening scene with Steve Buscemi telling the story about the biggest goddamn Mexican he's ever yeah, seen, yeah. when Antonio knows it obviously isn't the biggest. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody else says later on, I don't know, if, I can't remember if it's in Desperado or in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. There's there's a whole conversation about oh he's only five foot nine. Yeah, yeah. I think that's like, yeah, one, yeah. one foot one foot in uh, that's in the next one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. Mexico. Yeah, but again. Uh, how great that that's a callback yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to that that very same. But, but with that style of sort of myth making, yeah. you can easily see well the first film. Yeah, the guy looks different because you're telling the story. Yeah, and that's what he looked like in the story, and this is how he looks like now, and you know the, the real life blurring with with fiction. Exactly, and it works so well. And how cool does Banderas look? I, yeah. I, I think him him and Salma Hayek are are sort of at their 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 physical peak here. They're, they're at their movie star peak. And Salma's really right at the start of her mm. career, you know, at this point. Banderas is known from the Pedro Almodovar films and yeah. uh, he'd done um, a few misfires. Not misfires, yeah. he'd done like um the the the, the, the Raul Julia film he'd done. Yeah, Gypsy Kings. Uh, yes, yeah. He, he done that. He done a couple of others. He's in Philadelphia, I think. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. But small roles. He yeah, he either had small roles or films that hadn't quite sort of made an impact. But what a physical presence and what yeah. a great actor. And and you know, it's often difficult for for foreign actors to sort of transmit into American cinema and make an impact. I, I suppose, you know, the, the template there was someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger who'd done it really, really successfully in the previous decade. And um, Banderas, 
not only was he coming from from foreign films, but he was coming from foreign art movies <laughs> into this world of American exploitation. Well, he did. He done. He obviously did Desperado. He did Assassins earlier that year. Yeah, ago, yeah. Where he stole the movie from yes. Sylvester Stallone. Now you know, completely like literally like Grand Theft Auto. You know, he came in, robbed the entire oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. People came out of that film going, "Oh my God, we've seen a star in the making yeah. here with Antonio yeah. Banderas." And then here comes Desperado, where yeah. it's tailored for yeah. his particular um, brand of charisma. I'm going to make a, a confession here. This, this, I, I, I'm sort of really embarrassed that this, this happened to me. But to, when the trailers came out for um, From Dusk Till Dawn, Rodriguez's uh, 1996 film, again, him and Tarantino working in tandem, you know, I watched the trailer and I thought, oh, this, this movie looks like everything I want it to be. This looks amazing. And it's great to see Antonio Banderas back in it. I actually mistook George Clooney for mm. Banderas. And Clooney at the time, this this was his first yeah. sort of big, big movie role. And I, I didn't sort of know him from TV. You know, he'd, he'd become a big TV star. But for me, I, I'd only sort of seen his photograph in, in, in magazines and things. And I think he channels Banderas so much in From Dust Till Dawn. That I, I initially, on that first viewing of the trailer, I just thought, oh, great to see Rodriguez and Banderas teaming mm-hmm. up again, you know. And yeah, it sounds ridiculous now, but at the time it sort of made sense. I soon learned my lesson and I, I love Clooney in the film, but my my perfect version of that film will, will always have Antonio <laughs> Banderas playing that role. But yeah, how how great are he and, and Salma Hayek as a partnership in, well, in, in parts two and three? I think the thing with this I think the thing with this film, particularly particularly Desperado, is that when we talked about El Mariachi where none of the none of the cast um let the movie down, they're all amateur actors, none of them stand out as being terrible. Yeah. In this movie Everyone elevates yeah, the movie. Yeah, they've up the game. Yeah, exactly. They've up Rodriguez's game. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, the yeah, whole yeah. The, the script is fairly threadbare. You know, it's not, yeah. as we talked about, there's not much plot. There's no, no subplots, no. really, is there? No, it's no. just storylines. It's just like people turning up, doing scenes, and then off they go. But every single person in that movie elevates the film. Right from the get-go. I mean, when you walked into the bar and Cheech Marin's behind the bar. Yeah. And Cheech is brilliant. The fact that Cheech never really... Had a bigger career than, than he. I mean, obviously, had a great career. He's had a great career yeah. when, when, when still does. But the fact that he didn't go on to bigger things yes, yeah. is remarkable. I because think, I mean, he's, he's so great. He's kind. He's kind of a one note actor. He sort of comes on and plays his character. He does his shtick, you know. Mm. But. John Wayne did that. It's not a barrier to becoming a huge no, star. No, is no, it? And yeah, Cheech is fabulous. He's one of those people that whenever you see him in a movie, you, your heart warms. You know, you think, <laughs> oh, I'm just going to sit back. I know this scene is going to be great. Yeah. You know? but with with, with yeah. the way that he sells um, Steve Buscemi's story yeah, in yeah. that movie, it's just. It, it makes you believe it. It makes you believe. It makes you believe that they believe it. You know, yeah. he's, he's yeah. the facial expressions dropping, the mustache yeah. dropping. Yeah. Like, oh my god, yeah. you know, this is oh, the it's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's so great. great comedy. It's 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 comedy drama. You know, he's mm. he's so good at that style of acting. Not many people can do that. No. You know, um, but he's 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 really good at that. Especially within this, having this sort of character, this persona that he's he's sort of had throughout his career, which is probably not all that far removed from from his own real life, you yeah. know. But uh, um, you mentioned Buscemi there. Oh. I think he's worth talking about because at the time, at this time, 1993, 
he'd become a huge, huge hit in again having having arguably stolen Reservoir Dogs, the big movie of its era, you know, and he was the person everyone came away talking about for about five or six or maybe even longer years after maybe maybe for the next decade or so. He seemed to be like Hollywood's go-to guy. If 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 you wanted to attract the cool part of the audience to see your movie. And of course, fil- filmmaking promotion at that time seemed to be all about how can we get everyone to come and see our film? How can we get your granny to come? We'll put something in that appeals to her. We'll put something in that appeals to the Tarantino fans, all those cool people who don't come and see normal movies, you know. And, and Buscemi was always the sort of go-to if you couldn't get Tarantino in your film or doing a rewrite on your script, you know, Bushimi was was the the next best thing. And how many films did he do where he sort of came in and did a little bit like he does in Desperado? But Desperado was the first of those. And I think that showed Hollywood that, yeah, Bushimi's performance in Reservoir Dogs wasn't an accident. The guy exudes cool, Mm. you know, and and he's, he's so good doing these little cameo appearances and little mini scenes, you know. Well, it's like we talked about earlier, right? So if you're going to put your mates in a film, make sure they look good. Yeah. And then just because the budget's gotten bigger and just because your your uh, your casting pool is wider, doesn't mean that, that that those sort of like considerations go away. And Steve Buscemi looks good. Yeah. Not the, not the handsomest guy, but he exudes character. But he's good. He's good for this sort of world. Oh, you know, he looks great. Yeah. He fits absolutely into this world in a way that if, if you know, if we hark back again to film noir or something, he's he's like the sort of Elijah Cook Junior. He's he's not yeah. the Humphrey Bogart, yeah. but he's like the sort of Weasley character that that is always in in film noir, often played by an actor like Elisha Cook, you know, and, and or Peter Lorre, mm. and and suddenly we've got a 1990s equivalent yeah, to that. Yeah, and, and, and it harks back to that classic age of Hollywood. Having a figure like that in your film really does give it that, that class. So we, we sk- I skipped over there, the, the Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek. Their chemistry is fantastic, yeah, yeah. particularly in Desperado. In the second one, it kind of loses its lies in flashbacks, so it doesn't feel as potent. But yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not portrayed so much as as a, as a sort of unit no. in, in what's upon a time in Mexico. Whereas here, they're a partnership. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just the chemistry is just so rich in that movie. Yeah, that yeah. They, they, you buy some of the clunky dialogue yeah, that they yeah. exchange well, with each they, other. They, they, they make that work. They yeah. really they sell that mm-hmm. and. Um, Physically, I, I think they look perfect. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think as a screen couple, they're, they're, they're right up there. Again, previous podcasts, we've talked about um, Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas in, mm-hmm. in the... Um, Romancing the, the Stone. The, yeah, yeah, Romancing the Stone films. And, um, and again, I, I think Banderas and Salma have, have, have got that, that same sort of physicality, but that same sort of link as well, that same sort of partnership and, and and they work so well together you, you one of the things that i think the reason why this is this film is, for me is more successful than once upon a time in mexico is i think they forget why people like antonio banderas yeah they don't like him because he's the mexican superhero that he is in the second in, in the third, third film they like him because he gets the shit kicked out of him 
and he comes back fighting. Yeah. Every time. The, the amount of time he's rolling around in pain in that movie. Yeah. That's that's the classic hero template. Well, it is, but he sells that so well. But it's amazing yeah, how, yeah, how yeah. often Hollywood forgets that. Yeah, you know, yeah, how, yeah. how often Hollywood has the invincible bad guy shooting, mm. like, the bully child uh, Jack Reacher thing. He's like, yeah. oh, he's, he's, he's an invincible monster. It's like, yeah. no, no, we want more John McClane. Yeah, we want yeah, someone we want who's more, vulnerable. Exactly. Someone yeah. who might lose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you want to feel that. Because there's your drama. Yeah, and, and to borrow a term from wrestling Antonio Banderas sells like crazy in this <laughs> film he is you feel every bullet wound every uh, nick every pain every every bump every bruise you feel it as you as he's feeling it on screen and that's the real way that this movie grabs its audience I yeah yeah I, I think you can see the difference between El Mariachi and Desperado in um, in El Mariachi, Rodriguez does this thing, which I, I'm, I'm sure must be maybe a, a sort of crucifixion motif. You know, it's the shooting yeah. of the hand. You know, mm-hmm. El Mariachi famously gets his his guitar playing hand shot, and that's that's done as one of these flashbacks with Banderas now in the role. And I I, I think he, I mean. Gallardo is 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 great as as El Mariachi and very good in 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 that finale. Mm. But when when it's repeated with Banderas, I, I think it's it's just, just elevated so much. He he really really makes you feel the pain there, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, um, yeah, I, I think it is this thing where where we we prefer our heroes to have weak spots. We prefer mm. them to be vulnerable. We prefer to root for someone who has got to make an effort to win the fight, you know, who who might not actually come out of this as a winner, or if they do, they might not be intact, as indeed El Mariachi isn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. He's 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 beaten, he's he's shot, you know, and yet he, he still comes out on top. And that's the sort of guy that I think we will root for more than a sort of solid block of wood that's just going to stroll in and, and push everyone out of the way. Yeah, yeah. There's, 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 no, there's no substance there, is there? No, I mean, but, and I think they, they kind of have to go that way because there's no story arcs for any no. of these characters. No. They're, they're, they're the same people at the end of the movie or they're dead at the end of the movie than they were at the start of the movie. Yeah. So you, I think you've got to have some way of getting that that connection with the audience across. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think out of all of that mid nineties post post Reservoir Dogs, post Pulp Fiction fare that came out, um, I think Des- Desperado is up there with the very, very best. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, I must have watched that movie a thousand times. Yeah, I watched it so much in the nineties. I absolutely adored every frame of it, and I still do. Watching it again recently, it was just like this. This is the way to make a lean, mean action movie yeah 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 so so again it's mad max 2 isn't yeah, it yeah it is mad max yeah, 2 yeah, yeah yeah absolutely what a great double bill that'd be yeah <laughs> mad max 2 and desperado i'd be there yeah absolutely yeah let's, let's move on to the, to the third one because this 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 came about in, a, in an interesting way and like we talked about earlier he embraced digital after yeah. after watching attack of the clones i mean I'm not quite sure many people got any inspiration from Attack of the Clones, but Robert Rodriguez did. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he, that's that's now paid off. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he so he's he's directly he comes out of that and says, "Okay, 35 millimeters dead. I'm only shooting on digital now." 
and he didn't have a project to shoot on digital. He wanted to shoot Spy Kids 2, yeah. but it, it just didn't line up. So he pitched the idea of a sequel to Desperado. Yeah. And, and, and at, this, at this point, of course, Robert Rodriguez isn't the Robert Rodriguez that we've been talking about. You know, he's now an established Hollywood filmmaker. Yeah. He's had hit after hit after hit after hit. Yeah. He's aligned himself with the Tarantino crowd. He's got he's, a kids franchise on the yeah, go, you know. He's, he's, he's even selling his films to kids, yeah, yeah. And, and very, very successfully. So, yeah, he's now a very different filmmaker in one sense. But this brings him right back to his roots. It does, but also, like, Antonio Banderas has gone on to strength, strength. He's got Indeed, the yeah, the, films, same, the same things know, happened to him. Sam yeah, Hayek yeah. has become a bigger star, you know, there's this, this, you know... Uh, his original cast are much more expensive yeah, second yeah. time round. I don't know if that paid into much into the scripting of this, but he he breaks up the the, the tandem of, of Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, as we've been saying throughout, this this is Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's good. It's watchable. It's got all the familiar characters and situations and things that we want from a, a, a mariachi film, but. It's all just pulled apart a little bit. It's it's not got the focus of Desperado. It's still got a, a you know guy comes into town and shoots everybody plot, but but sort of stretched a little bit and not not quite as good as what we've seen in the previous two films. But I I, I think it makes up for that with the, the the pure physical presence of of the central duo, even though they they don't work. In, in partnership quite as well as they did in Desperado. And and then of course you've got you've got the Joker in the pack with um, the, the the sort of extended cameo of uh, Johnny Depp. I wouldn't say it was a cameo. I'd say no, it was like, yeah, I, 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 weirdly yeah. enough, I'd say it was a leading role. It kind I, of like, I, as the movie goes on, it becomes much more of a Johnny I, Depp movie. Yeah, than I, a... I guess so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's fair comment. Mm. Um, he, I think he becomes... Ultimately, as important character as as um, as the Mariachi, yeah, and and that that's that's good in terms of watching what Johnny Depp does on screen. But I think it's bad for the movie. I agree. You need yeah. El Mariachi to be the focus. Yeah, he just he, he just kind of become a secondary character in his own movie in some ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was going for that good, the bad, and the ugly vibe, you know, with like spreading it out into an ensemble yeah. piece yeah. rather than it being just about one person. Whether that works, I'm not quite sure. I think we miss the fact that Salma Hayek's not in it. Mm. You know, in, 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 she's only in, it in flashbacks. Definitely. So definitely. We, we, we definitely miss that. And I think, yeah, Johnny Depp's great. Don't get me wrong. But he does, he just tends he's, to... He's in his own movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and to be honest with you, some of it's great. I mean, I, I love the fact that he keeps turning up in ridiculous outfits all yeah, the way through yeah. as a CIA agent. To the point where at one point he turns up in a CIA T-shirt undercover wearing a CIA t-shirt it's brilliant yeah, that it's is brilliant. super yeah, yeah. yeah and the whole shtick about the, the, the pork dish that, that yeah, eats yeah. everywhere is a really nice running gag mm-hmm. um, and the look of his character is great again again, we talked about um, how Tarantino might bring pages onto a set of somebody else's movie and say can I, can I read this in scene three or whatever you do get the sense quite often with Johnny Depp, especially when he's when he's not the star of a film, when he's mm-hmm. in a secondary role like this, or when he does a, a sort of guest role in something. Um, 
that he sort of turns up on set and says, hey, I'm Johnny Depp, you know, Hollywood film star. Can I be in your movie? And this is the look of my character. I'm wearing this wig for this one, and I'm, I'm wearing this goatee for this one. And it's almost like he sort of created a character and he's then looking for a vehicle for yeah. it. And you do sort of get that sense here in the way that you you, you did in in things like when, when he appeared in uh, Kevin Smith's uh, Tusk, for yeah. instance, you know, there, there really is that sort of, I'm sure the reality isn't like this, but for a viewer, you do get that sense of, all oh, right, Johnny Johnny Depp looks as though he's turned up on 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 day four of the shoot and said, "Can I be in the film?" Mm-hmm. You know, and they've sort of had to make way for it. It really does well, sort of play like this. That. Was at the start of that kind of Johnny Depp. He just done Pirates of the Caribbean around the same yeah, time, yeah, hadn't he? Yeah, he was like yeah. he was moving into that mode of of, of acting. Yeah, yeah, and and also I think he he was trying to develop. Not just a screen persona, but a persona within within Hollywood and within the film business of okay, I'm I'm a big big star that can open your fifty million dollar picture, but I'm also a maverick. I'm cool, you know. I can come on set in my Huntress Thompson gear, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I can tell great cool stories on set. And uh, I'm Mister Cool, and uh, I'm I'm going to play this weird character in your film, whether you like it or not, yeah. you know. But yeah, he's he's great. He makes a real impact, yeah. and 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 the scenes towards the end of the film. I think a really quite moving, you know. I think uh, the visual yeah. look of him with the blood underneath yeah. his glasses yeah. is, is is could have been an iconic look for the mariachi. You know what I mean? It could yeah. have been yeah. an extension yeah. of that. Again, there there is this sense that Johnny Depp sort of taking all of the best scenes away. Well, I think I think yeah. also yeah. I mean, as we talked about in Desperado, where Antonio Banderas takes a, takes a kick in and keeps on, you know, takes a look in and keeps on kicking. Yeah, he doesn't in this one. Mm. In this one, he barely gets punched. He barely gets hit. He's fine all the way through it. Johnny Depp gets his yeah, ass he, kicked throughout the end get, of the movie. He yeah. gets all of that stuff that should be happening. Yeah, there. Absolutely. It's almost like they're two sides of the same character. You know, it's almost like the character's been split in half. And yeah. uh, um, and it it, it 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 kind of works in individual scenes, but it, the, the the film doesn't hold together. Well, a lot of the criticisms as we've talked about of band of Desperado and El Mariachi is that the, the plot's threadbare. There's no characters. There's no story arcs. There's no subplots. This one's almost like the exact opposite. There's yeah. like too much yeah. characters, yeah. too many subplots, yeah. too, too too much to take your attention well, away as, from the. As content. I say, it's it's beyond Thunderdome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, that that again brings us back to the question then. If 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 what we're watching here is the Mexican Mad Max trilogy, are, are we going to get a a, um, a mariachi Fury Road type? Film? I, I, I literally, what form would that take? Because they're so they're, they're very similar, aren't they? So like I think there's I think there is a a, a a movie to be made of an older El Mariachi yeah, coming yeah. out of like I, I can see Banderas coming back to this. Yeah, I really I can. Too. I mean, yeah, coming yeah. out of it, like imposed. Uh, self-imposed exile or something like that to I don't know free the heart of Mexico or something. Yeah, there'll be yeah. some sort of like mythical. Oh yeah, there'll be some major sort yeah, of yeah, legendary yeah. thing that that uh, yeah, it's it's going to be big. Robert, if you're listening, get get writing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. yeah, taking on the drug cartels again. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's like because that storyline never gets old, does it? Mexican <laughs> theory like the drug cartels haven't gone away. So I think maybe yeah, yeah. you know the 21st century El Mariachi taking on the drug cartels would work. Yeah, yeah. And again, people might say, "Oh, isn't that a bit of an offensive, you know, Mexican cliche sort of thing?" But that's 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 good when when you're writing this type of legendary myth 
typical story. I and it works. It works. In the, it works in the, the other three. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, why, yeah. why go away yeah, from that yeah, in the fourth? Yeah. You know. I, I think you can deflect any criticism that oh you're, you're being stereotypical here about Mexicans or or Latins or whatever. You know, in that you know with, within a good storyline, you can say we're creating a hero out of out of that stereotype. You know, yeah. we're, we're we're making the whole thing mythical and. We're, we're bringing positives to it. And I think that's what Robert Rodriguez does so well throughout his cinema. I think he does that across, especially especially in the franchises and, and the sort of duos, you know, the films that he's repeated. I think he's very, very good at cinematic myth-making. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, some people call it stereotypes. Some people call it, like, legendary figures of Mexico. Yeah, I think that's yeah, what he's yeah, looking yeah. at. Isn't but look, look, at, look at Machete. You know, yeah, exactly. he's, he's taken Danny Trejo, who's been sort of bit player in, in two of the, mm. the Mario films and, and again that's brilliant you know he's sort of killed off in one and like like bruce spence in mad max mm. he comes back as is it the same guy is it another character you know like cheech marin as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. that's, yeah. that's yeah. part of, of rodriguez's myth making as well yeah. it's like yeah. it's yeah. the same faces in, yeah. in, in, in yeah. those movies and, and then and then he takes danny trejo who's been like this cool guy who's been sort of bumped off in 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 the mariachi films you know and makes him into into the next Antonio Banderas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's so good at that, that sort of myth making cinema and I think it's at its absolute apex in this trilogy. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. Well that's that brings us to the end of uh, of our little podcast on, on Rodriguez's Mexican trilogy. Rodriguez has got Boba Fett coming up soon, so that'll yeah. be a fun to enjoy. A good, a good fit for him, I think. I think so, Again, too, yeah. In, in, in the ways that we've been discussing. Yeah, it's talking about Western in space, basically, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It's that kind of bringing those kind of vibes. I think it'll, it'll suit his visual style, particularly the editing style as well. So that, looking forward to that. Yeah. And hopefully we'll hear of um, the announcements of uh, El Mariachi Fury Road fairly soon. We're demanding it. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll be back in another podcast in a couple of weeks' time. Take care. We'll speak to you soon.